Sasha Thompson is a highly respected DEI expert and certified coach. She and her network of friends in the DEI profession often talk shop after work. They're bringing those after hours conversations to you right here on DEI After Five with Sasha. Let's get this conversation started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of DEI After Five. I am so excited about today's conversation because my guest today is my sister friend, Katrina Jones. Um, We are just going to go ahead and jump in and get started. Welcome, Katrina. Hi. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to be reunited with you every time we get together. Yes. Well, you know, well, today we are really talking about, you know, how do you detach from toxic environments? Um, We both know (laughs) what that's about, how that is. Um, And so really wanted to spend this time kind of talking to you about that experience and some of the things that you were able to do as a practitioner um, in this work, because I think that's what makes it so difficult. It's not, are you, it's, it's part of your job. Right. Like it's part of your job to to um, to try to reach out and, and speak for those that don't have a voice. But then when you find that that becomes you, it, it becomes much more difficult. So talk to us a little bit about your experience and some of the things that you learned through that yeah. process. So, you know, I came um, and I'll say came back to this idea of detachment. Uh, and, and I say came back because. You know, I was first introduced to the principle of detachment, the framework of detachment through Alatine. Um, as a child, I there was a loved one that I was very close to who uh, was in recovery. Um, uh, and so I used to go to Alatine. You know, I knew um, all the steps with Al-Anon. Um, and so... It, you know, it was in this last, I'll say, couple of years where this idea of detachment kept resurfacing um, in my life. And it came up in a few different ways. Um, first, from a mental health wellness practitioner that I used to see who suggested this to me one time when we were in session that, you know, I um, could perhaps just remove myself and not care um, so deeply about uh, this work. This, And I, I'm, I'm saying work, but it's beyond, you know, a professional, current professional title. And I always say this about my work in DEI, that it is my life's work. Um, and it's, it's really hard and it is the most meaningful, most profound work I, I think that you can do in this life, um, or some of the most, I'll say that. Um, but, you know, I when that practitioner initially introduced or reintroduced detachment, um, and, and not with that exact language, but just, you know, not being so connected, um, I just immediately rebuffed that because I thought, no, that's, I can't do that, right? Like, this work is too important, and I don't want to be detached from the work or from my environment, you know, this is more than just a job. And and this is more than just a 
career arc for me. Um, and it planted a seed. That planted a seed where I got to think about, well, hold on, what does that mean, right, for you? And does it have to look exactly like what that practitioner person was suggesting? Um, and so I, it led me to actually go back and go pull out the, you know, principle of detachment as you know, uh, articulated by Al-Anon. And when I did, it just, it resonated so deeply. And I just want to mm-hmm. share the definition of it because okay. we, we can level set on what we mean when we talk about detachment. So, uh, you know, I mentioned detachment as a principle and a framework in Al-Anon and Alatine, and it's essentially about separating yourself emotionally um, from the effects of someone's behavior and actions. And then, you know, in, mm-hmm. in particular case, uh, in the way that it's used within Al-Anon uh, spaces, it, it means separating yourself from the effects of someone's behavior that's affected by alcoholism, right? Um, and so, if you Google it, you'll come up with, you know, the, um, the kind of guidelines for detachment. But, you know, when I when I read it, I just honestly, I had a spark of genius in thinking about how does this how might this apply to me and separating? Yes, from, you know, unhealthy environments. Um after you've been out of the, after you've left the environment, but also separating um, even when you're in the environment. That's the piece I wanted to talk to you about because so many of the, so many of my clients that are practitioners, that's the big struggle, right? Because they feel like in some, a lot lot of this work, right? They're not just advocating for others. They're advocating for themselves, um, especially if they're from marginalized communities. And so how do you detach from this work emotionally, right? If you're using those principles, um, when when it's so much a part of who you are. Yes, yes. And that I think is, you hit on something um, that is so, that that is what makes the work so challenging. Like I always say, doing the work while you are the work. So mm-hmm. this, does, this doesn't stop for me when I close my life. This is me, this is, how I live my life. It is a a part of my everyday in terms of, you know, fighting against and uh, against racism, against sexism, of also navigating racism and sexism on a daily basis in a way that's so loud, right? And, And sometimes subtle, but often really loud. I mean, we could just look at last week where, um, the uh, murderers of Ahmaud Arbery were found guilty, and that mm-hmm. was wonderful. And, you know, prior to that, a few days or a week prior to that, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse had been found not guilty. Um, and so those are public moments that, you know, affect people. And folks are also having these experiences in their everyday life that they're dealing with. And that is beyond, I have to say, it is it is beyond because it's hard to separate yourself. I do think with detachment and what I love about this, as I started to pick it apart and re 
vision it for my life and for myself is it really made me think about what would life be like for me if I didn't have to deal with the constant specter of racism. Mm. And so how could I use detachment as a principle, as a framework to let go uh, of and, and, and some of the emotional turmoil um, and, uh, you know, and tumult that comes in dealing with the symptoms of racism. And yeah. that's, I think, the, the power is in it. It is in refocusing or focusing exclusively on yourself, you know, on your well-being on your your success and most importantly your peace right and so yeah which is what the detachment really is about it is about how you yes there is all this stuff that can happen that happens to you or it happens in the environment um and how do you sit outside of that uh because mm -hmm. one of the um uh one of the illustrations of detachment says that it's neither kind nor unkind it requires you to sit without judgment to see it right and that doesn't mean that you don't have a reaction you might see something you observe it you have a feeling about it you might have an initial judgment and then you set that aside and that is what i think will really uh help and support professionals who are doing this work, especially doing this work when they are the work. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you just said made me think of sometimes you just have to let go, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that you don't care, um, no. but you, something you just have to let go because that anger, frustration, whatever that emotion is can start to take over yeah. and manifest in your body, you know, in certain yeah. ways. And we've talked about this a lot, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I had to I detach. Like it was truly this emotion of okay, what do I need in order to s acknowledge what has happened, but not hold on to, not live in that moment. And I think that's the piece that I think a lot of people need to start to to realize and recognize in this work is you have to do those things in order to acknowledge and then say, okay, this isn't feeding me well and yeah. so what do i need in order to do that um and so as you think about this in your journey and you know we've talked a million <laughs> a million times about yeah. this um yeah. but you know what were some of the steps that you took to start detaching oh gosh um you know for me it was being conscious of uh and shifting I'll say being conscious of the feelings, the judgment that I, I was having, and then being intentional about shifting away from it. Right. Mm. What I was do what I would would do would be to stay in the space of the feeling, the judgment, the emotion, and you know, cycle through that. So yeah. instead of moving to the next you know, stepping away from it or seeing it and then, you know, stepping outside of it. I, I, I just kept cycling through it. 
And to be clear, um, it's not a bad thing that that happens and that you might do that because it, it it's something that is so natural for us, especially when you experience, you know, paper cuts that have compounded into wounds over time mm. that never heal, right? Mm -hmm. It is really hard to then step outside and step away from that cycle, that vicious uh, cycle of yeah. staying in the feeling, ruminating in it, and staying with that that judgment that you've assigned. You know, and there's two things you just said. One, I think we also need to step back and determine or identify what are the things that have caused those cuts, yeah. right? Rather than going through the cycle and getting cut over and over again, like, okay, what are the things that are cutting me and yeah. where are the traumas happening and yeah. being able to identify also your triggers, right? Yeah. Like, what are those things? Because I know one of the challenges that I had getting out of a toxic environment was I loved the people that I worked with yes. and I stayed connected to them. Then my wounds never really healed because that scab was constantly being picked off. Yes. Right. You're, you're still in it. Right. Cycling. People are coming and saying, Oh my gosh, you won't believe this latest thing, or this is a tragic, like, let me, just download and just give you the, you know, news at five. All right. And so it's really, and, and I think the other part um, that you just hinted at is establishing boundaries. Yeah. So that's, that was part of it too. So step one for me was being intentional about acknowledging what I was feeling about honoring that feeling, the judgment that I was having. Um, and holding that um, as a precious gift and then saying, okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to put you over here now. So, you know, it's time for you to move, um, for me to move elsewhere. And, and so mm -hmm. I did that. And the other part of it was establishing boundaries to say, you know, this isn't, for example, this isn't a healthy conversation for me to engage in. Um, I, I'd love to talk about how you're doing. Right. Um, I'd love to talk about, you know, what what you're up to. How's your family and shifting, yeah. uh, shifting to something else, another topic. And also where you need to setting boundaries about your relationships with people. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think that's one of the reasons why um, coaching became such a critical part of the work that I do, particularly yeah. for practitioners, because I started going into coaching mode, right? Like yeah. rather than letting people stew in the complaints, it's like, okay, well, where do you see yourself five years from now? Yes. Right. And I would start throwing these questions out that would have them thinking like, okay, wait a minute. Did I just go through a session? <laughs> because oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. You need to move forward. And so I found that I was talking to a lot of practitioners in this coaching method to get them to move forward and to start, stop that spinning, yes. right? Or at least if it was an iteration, they realized, okay, this isn't where I want to be. So what do I need to do in order to get to, yes. you know, where it is that I want to be? So, you know, you've talked about, you know, setting boundaries and 
kind of understanding also your limitations too, to some extent of what you can take in. Um, if there were, if there was one thing that you wish you would have learned earlier in the process, what would have that been? What would that have been? Oh gosh. Um, we don't have enough time. No, <laughs> uh, you know, I think the one thing that I would, I wish I would have learned earlier um, was that I could not. So, you know, part of the reason, and I've um, now, um, you know, working um, within my own business and working with clients and advising and consulting on DEI uh, strategies, programs, and also, you know, leading and facilitating a lot of education, a lot of workshops. Um, and in part of that, you know, one of the things that I, I, I've, you know, just become really cognizant of that I wish I had learned earlier was that I am not a vessel for someone mm. else. You know, um, I just, I can't. Uh, and yes, I've got tremendous expertise. Um, I've got a, a very unique and special skill set. It's what makes me so, you know, great at my work and especially working with clients who are ready to do the, this work. And I can't be a vessel for somebody else's journey. And I think there is often a tendency, right? You want to save, you want to help, you want to support, you want to um, empower people, you know, you want to um, uh, have your, you've got your superhero cape on <laughs> all the time. And I just really had to recognize that I, I cannot be a, a vessel um, for mm. someone else's anti-racism journey or their recovery from racism or, and the other isms that they're experiencing, um, you know, that I, I, I couldn't certainly provide expertise. I can provide, you know, counseling, advice, advising, coaching, um, but I was not responsible for their failure or their success in, in that journey or for any aspect of that journey. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think I'm, 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 take, I'm taking that in because I think that that was a lesson that I had to learn. I also had to learn that, um, and I learned this early on, but not everyone is in the same place in their journey. And so I always describe it as, you know, practitioners, a lot of practitioners, not all practitioners are what I would call, you know, at that PhD level, yes. right? of this work yes. and we have to realize that there are some folks that are still in pre-k yes um that may have higher titles yeah but this is the very beginning of their journey like they're just now at sesame street learning their alphabet <laughs> right like they're learning yeah. what is yeah. d what is e what is i yeah. um and i had to kind of get through that frustration of yeah. understanding that not everyone is at the same place in this journey and knowing who I could work with, what part of the journey was best for me to work with? Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, that, because everybody starts from someplace, right? Yeah. You don't, I, I always say this. Uh, 
no, we're not born like woke, right? Like super woke. We, we all, and that's part of that expertise that we've cultivated is being in this uh, from an academic, you know, educational, but practical standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, engaging in all of the learning, the knowledge, et cetera. And there's no end point to the journey. It's not that you get to a certain spot and you say, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Level, right? Like I got my doctorate. I'm good. No. You are always learning. And so, you know, looking at it and seeing it in that way, I think allows you to honor where other people are in their journey. It doesn't mean that folks aren't accountable or or, or, or not accountable for their mistakes um, or for any harm that they may intentionally or unintentionally perpetuate. But it is honoring that everybody starts somewhere, that everybody, you know, hopefully is moving along in their journey. And we are all on one. Yeah. And, you know, the aha I had with that was part of the toxicity I was dealing with were were people in leadership roles that were in pre-K, right? In in their journey. And it was recognizing that um, and realizing, okay, I, I have to come about this in a different way, but also do so in a way that is not um, where the toxicity isn't poisoning my spirit. Yes. My, my soul. And so that was a balancing act, particularly, you know, toward the end of, of my time. But yeah. what I also realized, and you, you talked about it a little bit, was, you know, you can't be a vessel, right, for everyone in everyone's journey. And there's so much of this work for, for practitioners, like we give so much to so many people. And, you know, it's a, it's a constant give and it's a constant, um, I don't want to say it's taxing, but it is taxing to some degree emotionally um, if you are truly invested in this work. And so, you know, one of the pieces of this that, you know, I always talk to my clients about is who's filling you up? Like, how do you fill you up? And so, you know, as you talk, as we talk, you know, I'm always just like, okay, what are you sipping on? What are you drinking? You know, and, you know, today I'm, I have coconut water. Because oh, like, yes, that is ultimate refuel. Right. But, and it's, it's because it's also, it's the refuel. It's, there's comfort in that for me, for some reason, right? Yes. You know, coconut water. Um, and so the question I have, like, what? do you do to fill your cup? Um, this is a great question. And I, by the way, I'm 150% with you on coconut water. Like I, when I drink water and, and that's what's in my cup today, I have water with a splash of lemon because I, you know, after uh, lots of eating and drinking last week, like I just want to detox. Be healthy. <laughs> be healthy. Like my five-year-old says, be healthy, Fle- you know, flush things out. Um, and coconut water also is like fulfilling on a whole other level. Every time I drink coconut water, it feels like love. That's what it feels like. Like love is, is, is going into the yes. body. <laughs> um, 
I think though, you know, for me, the way that I have refilled and tended to my, I'll, I'll call it tended to my garden. Um, mm. That's what it is, is really investing in lots of therapy, um, investing in, you know, healthcare, <laughs> honestly, um, going to the different doctors and making sure that I'm, I'm also, um, you know, between therapy, general practitioner, um, between other doctors that I'm really taking care of my physical health as well as my mental health. Um, and part of that also has given me tools, right, where I'm more conscientious about what I'm feeling, what is surfacing for me, what it might be connected to. Yeah. Um, often connected to something from your past, from your childhood. Um, so, so being able to see those things more mm -hmm. clearly has been um, incredible, honestly. And then, you know, aside from just recognizing what I'm, what I'm feeling, what through those different experiences, um, it's, you know, for me, it's also about doing things, engaging in different, and it's little things. It's not like, okay, I make sure I go to the gym five days a week. I would love to do that. Um, <laughs> but um, the way that my sleep is set up, it just does not, right. <laughs> it does not come right. together. Um, but it's, you know, it's little things like I will go walk in the grass um, um. because it literally helps ground me and it is healing. It, it does something to me you know, spiritually, mentally to feel the grass and the ground under my feet. And so sometimes I'll just go, you know, take a few minutes and, and I just go walk around barefoot. I go run okay. out and go get the nail barefoot because uh, because it's grounding. It's and it's mm -hmm. a to me uh, of that I'm connected to the earth. Right. Um, that there's something much bigger than me. Um, you just so, reminded me, like I used to do that as a kid all the time. Oh, yeah. I would just go outside or like there was this one little spot of the yard that was always just muddy. Yes. And I just loved to play in that, even as a teen, would just yes. love to squish my yes. toes in the mud. And my mom was like, really? Like, <laughs> oh, oh, like, I'm a country girl. <laughs> and I, I just, I had to remember that, right? Like. Yeah, I used to do the same thing. I'd be walking around barefoot as a as a child, as a teen, all the time. I, I never wore shoes outside because, like, yeah, why? right. Uh, and it it just it felt good, uh, and and that's all I knew as a child was this feels good, right? Like this is um, I, I don't know why, but it feels good. So sometimes you just have to return to that. Um, and that's going. why one of the questions, one of the main questions I always ask my clients is what brings you joy? Like, and it's not about work. It's just yes. those little things. It's those little things that you just, that make you smile, that you just yes. love. Like a random one for me is I love jumbo marshmallows. Yeah. Like, don't ask me why, but I will eat like a whole bag of them and just be yes. in my happy place. <laughs> but we, but we, it reminds we, me of my childhood, right? Yeah. I, I love toasted marshmallows and it's one of my favorite, like, oh, we have a guest. I, I'm toasting marshmallows. We also have a little fart. Yes. Oh, 
that goodness. So yes. It, yes. What, <laughs> joy, what brings you peace? Yeah. If it's, you know, you find time to take a nice, a, a longer shower, a meditation. And for me, you know, the trick is consistency because I'll yeah. do it when I find myself in a hard spot. And, the, you know, I think the one of the other things that I've learned is I can't just pivot when I'm in a hard spot into all of these practices suddenly, because then I'm just throwing yeah. kind of at my systems, right? Like take this meditation, yeah. take this walk in the grass, take this therapy session. But I needed, I need to, to, for, uh, you know, meditation, for instance, to be a regular practice. And so mm -hmm. I would find ways to, um, I'm taking my meditation in the shower, right? Nobody um, says seated in a chair or right. anything like that. Um, I, you know, taking a five minute, 10 minute walk with my dog, just all that. These are things that you have to have some consistency with um, and figure out what is the one thing that you want to be more consistent with and just give yourself that time. Yeah. That's your, your, your you time, right? Yeah. yeah. That's your you time. So Katrina, where could people find you? So um, you can find me, my website, equityequationplus.com. Uh, so you can find me on my website, equityequationplus.com. You can also find me, um, and I, my website is still uh, in the process. What, of equity inclusion? Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like, wait a minute. That's Right, sorry. I, I, We're connected. We're connected. Yes, yes. It's because I'm looking at it's equity. Thank you. Equityinclusion.com. Um, you can also find me and please sign up for um, updates to be on the mailing list. I am launching my website in early 2022 and mm -hmm. would love for you to be part of this community. So please go to equityinclusion.com, sign up to receive updates. You'll be on the mailing list. You'll be notified as soon as the site goes live. Um, I, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, and if you're looking for a uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor, consultant, someone who can also facilitate education and learning. Um, you can find me again on equityinclusion.com, uh, on LinkedIn, um, but please get in touch. I'd love to work with you. Yay! Thank you so much, Katrina, for joining me for this episode. This has yes. been absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, we could go on for hours. Yes. We yes. have gone on for hours before. Yes. So yes. thank you so much for joining yes. us. And I just want to thank the audience. Thank you all for uh, joining us as well, too. And we look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Have a good one. Thank you, Sasha. Good chance.